and his servant. All right, let's, uh, let's jump in here. Um, we are at war. I, I don't know if you feel it very often. I know that too many times I don't feel it. At too many times I am kind of asleep at the wheel, and I'm afraid that's kind of the, the way that the whole church is in the United States and other parts of the world too, is that we don't see what's, because we don't see what's going around us, we don't realize that there's anything going on around us. And so um, I, I want to uh, teach you, we're going to move really quickly today, so forgive me for that. We're going to cover a whole lot about spiritual warfare today, a whole about, lot about just the reality that we are in a, a, a war, a battle, and, uh, and, and what that looks like and things that we need to know. Uh, but bef- anyway, before I do that, there are some things that you have to know, things that you cannot be ignorant about in this war or you'll be caught off guard. And it's not good for people at war to be caught off guard, right? We call those ambushes, right? It doesn't usually end well for the ambushee, right? Um, you need to know. So the very first thing, as, you, uh, as, I, as I pass that sheet around, does anyone need a writing utensil, by the way? Carl would be more than happy to grab you one from the back table if you need a writing utensil to fill in the blanks. No one? Anyone? Once, twice, Bueller? Okay, moving on. All right, the very first thing in that first blank is that you must know that you are engaged in battle. You must know that you are engaged in battle. All right, and then uh, we're going to read together in First Peter chapter 5. Um, we're going to be in, in several of the scriptures quite a bit this morning, so uh, turn there if you'd like to, or um, if you want, you can read on the deal behind me, but I try to give us notes so that we could all remember what these say. Um, so in First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, Peter writes this. He says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. All right, the, the, the very f- next blank there is your enemy looks for someone to what? Devour. The, right, what Peter says is here is he's like a predator. He's like a lion. He's looking for people that he can consume, looking for people that he can devour. And there are a couple of things I want to point out about that verse in, in verse uh, 8 of First of Peter chapter 5. The very first one, the very first two words there of that second sentence, your enemy. Whose enemy is he? He's ours. And why is he ours? Well, he, he's ours because we are now part of the kingdom. We're now part of God's kingdom, and he's always been an enemy. Well, okay, not exactly always. For a long, long time, though, he's been an enemy of God. And because we are in God's kingdom, we are now his enemy. Okay, so you don't know it, and you don't feel it from day to day, perhaps, but there is someone who has declared himself to be your enemy. Right? So I know it feels like a friendly place most of the time, the world, right? But there is someone who's sworn to, to your destruction, who wants to see you devoured, who wants to devour you and predate you if he can. That doesn't mean date before, but to eat you, you know, like predator. Okay, um, um, and so you have an enemy, and he is, he is your enemy. Now, here's the thing. Christian, you can pretend like it's not true. You can, you can be oblivious to the truth, but the truth is you have an enemy, and he is opposed to you from day to day. He is opposed to God and everything that's godly, everything that is light and truth, everything that we would like to see happen, everything that God's plan, he is opposed to. And you can pretend it's not true and you can be oblivious to that point. But Christian, you were not meant to face the world this way. You were not meant to be unaware. You were not meant to be oblivious to this. You were meant to be prepared to stand firm against him. Amen? Okay, all right. 
Um, so whether you know it or not, and let me just tell you, let me tell you really quickly what can happen. Um, has anyone ever had marriage troubles? Who's married? Anyone? Weird. Yeah, odd. You know, us too. Yeah. <laughs> I won't tell you who. Someone held up both their hands. Um, anyway, I'm not going to mention their name. Um, you know what can happen though? Is that what can happen is that you have marriage troubles and maybe it goes on for a few weeks or maybe it goes on for months or maybe it goes on for years. And what can happen is, is that you can get little ideas in your head like this. Wow, I deserve better than this. Maybe something's wrong with my wife. She's broken. Or maybe there's something wrong with my husband. He's broken. There's something wrong with him. Maybe we'd both be better off split apart. Let me tell you, if you don't recognize that, if you don't know you're at war, you won't recognize that is the whisperings of the enemy. Those are the kinds of things he loves to whisper in your ear and try to get you to believe. Because if eventually, if you'll start believing those lies, then you'll take action on them. And he can wreck a family that way. He is bent on destruction. Matter of fact, let's talk about what does the scripture call our enemy? He comes to, Jesus said he comes to still kill and destroy. So he's a thief, he's a murderer, and he's bent on your destruction. It says here in, in 1 Peter, it says that he is a devourer of what? Not, he's not talking about T-bone steak here. What does he eat? What does he devour? What does he predate? He wants to devour you and me. He's also called a liar, right? Father of all lies, actually. And the accuser, that's right, and many, many other things. But uh, anyway, he, that is our enemy, and he will whisper in your ear. And listen, if you're not prepared, if you don't know where that's coming from, you can start to believe what the enemy whispers in your ear. Let me tell you how it else happens in, in, uh, in um, regards to uh, not being, what's that, in regards to doubt. Something will happen with your child, right? And you'll be so concerned that you'll think, I have to fix them. I have to save them. I have to step in and I have to be chopper mom or chopper dad. And I, I got to swoop in and save my child like I'm the one who can do it. Let me tell you, if you're under that delusion, I was telling Clay the other day, I heard a story about a man who went to a Buddhist temple and there are the tenets of Buddhism there written in the temple. And he went in one of the last, the last tenets of Buddhism. It says, Buddha cannot save. So he went and he asked one of the Buddhist priests, he said, what does this mean, Buddha cannot save? And the priest didn't know. And so he went and got the higher priest and he brought him and he said, what does this mean, Buddha cannot save? And he, the priest said, well, um, you know, we're not here to discuss that. And they kicked him out of the temple. But let me tell you, you, like Buddha, you cannot save. The enemy will whisper to you that you have to take up for your child and that you've got to swoop in and you've got to save them. But the truth is, the only hope our children ever had is that God would move and act in their lives. Now, let me tell you, I, Brent and I have taken pride in our parenting skills and the sacrifices we've made on behalf of our children. And then we fell flat on our faces, right? The only hope our children have is that God might move on their behalf. Amen? Uh, let me tell you something else. Um, you know, your children and your grandchildren, they face... Um, they face a culture today that's unlike any culture, well, okay, maybe since the Romans, but un unlike our culture in America um, since it was founded, there has never been greater mocking of the Christian faith than, than today in, in America. Am I right? And it comes everywhere from science to politics and every other realm of mankind. You hear mockings about the Christian faith and what ignorant people must be to be believers in Christ. 
and to be believers in what the Bible teaches. Your children face that in schools every day. If you're not aware of what's going on around us, there's an agenda that our enemy has to try to make you and I irrelevant, to try to make our truth and the gospel irrelevant. And if you and I aren't privy to that, if we don't understand, if we don't see the big picture about what's going on here, we won't be standing in the gap for our children and praying for them to develop a faith that endures this hardship because it's not going away anytime soon. It's not going away anytime soon. What we need to be praying is, Lord, cause their faith to deepen because of the suffering. Cause them to be, let's be like the first century church that because of the oppression, because of the persecution that was put on us, just spread the gospel like wildfire, Lord God. Use it in that way. But you got to know your children are engaged in a battle as well. Um, they, them too. All right, the next thing is, um, the, the, the second thing, the first thing, you must know that you're engaged in the battle. The second thing is, is that you must not cooperate with the enemy. Now, this sounds obvious. I know we all think, like, yeah, of course, you don't cooperate with the enemy, but let me tell you real quickly what I'm talking about. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6, if you do want to turn there. There are a couple of things that I want to read to you. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks a lot about um, about um, spiritual warfare, really, in Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6. But anyway, in Ephesians chapter 4, he writes this to the believers. He says, after he tells them about all the, the sinfulness of the world, he tells them, you did not come to know Christ that way. That is in regards to a sinful life. He said, surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance to the truth that is in Jesus. He is the truth. Amen. You were taught, can I amen myself? Is that okay? Is that against protocol? All right, okay. All right, not bad form. All right. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like what? To be like God in true righteousness. He, he would start in uh, the, the next chapter to, to tell us, he said, be imitators of God. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Um... Let me, I'm, I'm going to read the next verse before I go very far into this, but let me tell you. Here, the next uh, blank there under Ephesians chapter 4 is put on the, old, on the new self, sorry, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So what's he saying? Put on righteousness, put on holiness, take off the deceitfulness of your former life. And the second blank, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Listen, Christian, if you are angry with your brother, and you know when you're angry with your brother, it's when you're sitting there, laying there at night, and you can't sleep because you're going through all these scenarios about things you'd like to say to someone. Oh, the next time I see them, or I wish I'd have said this, that would have really been a good zinger when you're thinking like that and you're not sleeping, um, you're angry. Right? I know we don't like to admit that sometimes. I'm just frustrated. What's the difference? Uh, you're angry and, and you need to repent of it because it says, what does it say? If you don't, you're giving the devil a foothold. The devil would like nothing more to be able to chip a little bit of, of space between uh, you and your brother and, and be able to chip away at it. And listen, you give him a crag and he'll take a crowbar to that and start wrecking your relationships. You and I must forgive each other. 
We cannot afford to be angry. We cannot afford to walk in that darkness. Amen? We have to walk in light, which is forgiveness that Jesus had for us. Um, we need to move on. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, then, in verses 3 through 16, listen to what he says. Listen to the difference between the, the world and how Christians are supposed to live, about what it is to walk in darkness and what it is to walk in light, okay? But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. I feel a little bit urban for some reason when I say that. These are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you are once darkness, but now you are light in the world, in the Lord. Live as children is light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything is exposed by the light, becomes visible. For it is the light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Be very careful then how you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. All right, okay. Um, so moving on in chapter, uh, chapter 5 of uh, third, sorry, chapter 5, verses 3 through 16, in that next blank, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Make the most of every opportunity. Let me tell you a quick story. Steve Farrar, in his book, Point Man, wrote a story about a World War II soldier's allies who were going through a town in France, if I remember right, and they happened upon a house, a farmhouse, where they heard some loud voices inside, and they thought it was odd because the voices weren't French. They were American. And they walked inside, and they found a bunch of soldiers there who'd found a stash of whiskey. And in the midst of all the fighting, in the midst of all the battle, these men were drinking while their fellow soldiers, their fellow brothers in arms were fighting, they were drinking and drunk there in a farmhouse. Um, oblivious to the battle going on around them. This is not unlike how you and I can be, though. Listen, you and I cannot continue to walk in sin. Those are the things of darkness that we were rescued from. Amen? You can't go back to those things. Those things, those sins that you and I have in our lives, we cannot tolerate them. We cannot give ourselves a pass and say, well, this is just no small deal. No, it is a big deal because those are deeds of darkness. Those are, those are the, the things of the enemy, and we cannot participate in them. We have to be growing in righteousness and holiness. And listen, I am not there and neither are you. We are not going to get there in this life. But we cannot tolerate those things in our life because they will hamstring you. The writer of Hebrews says that we have to set aside the sin because it entangles us. If you are wrapped up in sin, you are ineffective in the, in the battle going on for your, yourself, your children, your family, your church, the people around you, because sin will entangle you. Those are that is the stuff of our enemy. That is not the stuff of our kingdom and our king. Amen? 
He is the kingdom of light, righteousness. You can't be angry. You can't hold on to lust. You can't allow that to rule in your life. You can't allow bitterness to rule in you. You can't, ladies, you can't allow jealousy to feed your, on your soul. You can't allow greed to feed on you. You can't allow, allow your want for power or, or stuff to overpower you because, as Paul, I believe, would write, he says, these things make war on your soul. You can't participate. You can't cooperate with the enemy. We are called to live holy, set-apart lives. The only way to do it is to walk in the Spirit and walk according to the way our Savior has has made for us. But uh, anyway, I'm going to push on past there. But you you have to realize you're in the battle. You have to realize you must not cooperate with the enemy. You are now children of light, and you're supposed to live in lives of light and holiness and righteousness before our mighty God and our, our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who redeemed us from those things. You can't walk in them. You can't tolerate them in your lives. You've got you to be in that battle. You've got to ask the Lord, renew my mind. Take away this sin from me. And over a period of time, over a period of years probably, um, it'll happen. The Lord will, will, will begin to take those things and grow you in his likeness, in the image of his son. Okay, the next thing as we move on here, I'm sorry this is really fast, but uh, we need to cover these things. That's why I gave you a handout, though. You can think of these things later. Um, the next thing, number three, is you must know how to prepare for battle. You must know how to prepare for battle. Brenda was just sharing a story about how unprepared she was Wednesday. Who of you have done that? Who of you have actually found yourself doing something? You absolutely forgot to prepare yourself. And, you know, and it happens with Brenda and I all the time. You know, we'll do a marriage event sometimes. Um, actually, we're, gonna, we're, we're due. We're going to do one here this coming spring. Is February in spring? Uh, winter in, uh, in in this coming winter, but um, uh, you know, Brent and I find all the time we'll do all this stuff to prepare for it and, and all this other stuff, and then I, I kid you not, every time a week before it happens, bam, we're having marriage problems. You know why? We forgot to prepare knowing what we were about to walk in, knowing that we wanted to teach God's truth to married couples, forgetting that the enemy would be opposed to that, and he hits us uh, right in our marriage where we're trying to teach people to do better. Yeah, funny, huh? No, we have to prepare for battle. Let me read with you uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. I love this. Matter of fact, you, you know, if you're looking for something to memorize in the Scripture, Ephesians 6, boy, 1 through 10, be mar- or 10 through 18, be just marvelous for you. Finally, man, this is great stuff here, isn't it? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. If he wouldn't tell us that, you know, if he, he wouldn't tell us that if that were not possible. If you were going to be sacked by the enemy every time you stood up against him, he wouldn't say this. Okay, I'm a little lit up today, I'm sorry. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but... That, I didn't mean like lit up like drunk, you know what I mean? It's like, okay. But against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Who's your struggle against? It's not against people. It's not against people. It's against, uh, it's against powers of this world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. All right. They're everywhere, aren't they? hate those guys. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to what? Stand. And then he says, what? Come on. Man, where are you? This is good stuff. This is our stuff right here. This is us. 
This is the, the, the masculine spirit right here. Okay, with me again, now verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel. Let me pause there for just a minute and explain the armor of God. Whose armor is it? It's God's. Righteousness, His. Salvation, Him. Gospel, His. He says, put it on though. Wear it like it's true. Wear it as though it happened because it is and it has an effect in your life. Amen? And is effective in, 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 uh, in standing against the evil one. In, all, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You've got to be in the Word or you can't fight. All right, men, you've got to be in the Word or you cannot fight. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. All right, we've got a few blanks to fill out. We are to take our stand in God's strength. Listen, this is a spiritual battle and you are unequipped. This is a spiritual battle in it. You are unequipped. You can try hard. You can work at it and it don't matter. You stand against a powerful foe. Jesus called him the strong man in, the par- in that very, very short parable. But he says, but uh, then the stronger man comes and whoops him. Kind of, that's a sh- very loose paraphrase. Put on the full armor of God. We have to be prepared. Our struggle is not against people, but against powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And he ends this by saying, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Let me put this very simply. In another place, Paul writes, Pray continually. Pray without ceasing. And I love it how he, he, uh, he, he writes all this. But he says, um, always pray in the Spirit on all kinds of, of uh, occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray and pray and pray throughout your day. It is not just something you do in the mornings. It's not just something you do at night. You are seeking and asking the Lord at all times on all occasions. Help me work, move, Help me, protect me, don't lead me into temptation, protect my family, look after my wife. You have to do your work, Lord God, because we cannot battle against this foe. Only you can. Um, we got to move on. But th- let me tell you this before I go on. This is a spiritual battlefield that I'm talking about. It, it is not happening between you and another person. It is happening between you and I and spiritual beings who stand against us and stand against our God. Amen. We have to be prepared for that. And you have to prepare. There's only one way to prepare. You have to stand in the strength of the Lord. You have to ask for his strength to help you. You have to remind yourself. You have to be in the word. You have to remind yourself of the truth of the gospel. You have to take on in faith and you have to say, Lord, help me have greater faith. The helmet of salvation, you've got to wear it. You've got to put it on and remind me, Lord God, how great is your salvation. And he will stand and fight. Because in the end, number four, we must know that the battle is the Lord's. This is repeated so many times in the Scriptures. We just read it in 1 Samuel chapter 17 where David comes and he stands against the Philistine and all the armies are shaking and trembling because they see this giant who's come and stood against them. But then what they don't see is that the Israelites have their own giant. And he's a little bit bigger than the uh, Philistine giant. It is God himself, and, and, and David says, the battle is the Lord's. He will deliver this uncircumcised, I love one of the translations, says, fellow, one of this circumcised fellow into my hands. And he had to borrow his sword so that he could cut his head off because he didn't have one. 
Okay, but anyway, he defeated the, uh, he, so he defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Imagine how incredible that is. No armor, no weaponry, but a sling and a stone because God showed up and won the battle. Are you with me? There are a couple of things about the battle being the Lord's. There's two truths to that. The first thing is, is that the battle belongs to the Lord. That means that you've got to battle with his strength. It is not ours to fight alone, but it is ours to take our stand, all right? The second thing is that he is victorious. Let me tell you, you guys have been reading with me. We've been reading a lot through Matthew, and we've, been read, we've read through all the Gospels. Tell me what happens when Jesus comes and encounters someone who's possessed by a demon. You know, is it like they draw sides and Jesus takes a sword and, the, you know, the demon-possessed guy has a mace and, they, man, they battle after it. Man, it's not like that at all. It's, in fact, it's a little disappointing, isn't it? The demons, I mean, they just, they just kind of let you down. What do they do? They fell at his feet and they cowered before him and said, Oh, God, oh, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of Israel. And there's one of the passages that says, where the, the, the garrison demoniac, right? The guy who's possessed by legion, for we are many. I'm guessing it sounded kind of like that. Um, but where he comes before him and he bows at his feet and he calls him out, Jesus, who he is, and he knows who he is and he recognizes him. And he says, Don't cast me far away from here. In another translation, or another translation, another one of the Gospels, he says, Don't cast me into the lake of fire. I'm not ready to go to be eternally punished yet. Don't do that. You know why? Because Jesus Christ has authority over all spiritual realm. It is not a fair fight. It, it, it's just not. And it, it, it's kind of disappointing in a way, but in a way, we rejoice in the victory. Amen? Yes. We rejoice in the victory. It is the Lord's. The battle does belong to Him. And it says, and uh, we got to read this real quick. In, in uh, Romans chapter 8, we're going to read a lot here, uh, but uh, let's read it and listen to the victory that's ours. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 39, and we know that in all things, you know this passage, God works for the good, of, of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those who he, those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. What's God intend good for you? He wants you to be conformed to be the likeness of his son. See, in that way, Jesus Christ is glorified because we all want to be like him. The holy, the righteous one, the overcomer. And he's glorified as we are changed to be sinful um, uh, people to be changed and transformed by the power of his spirit, by the power of the gospel working in, in us to reflect the glory and the goodness and the purity and the holiness of our Savior. He's glorified. We're transformed. That's pretty, that's neat, isn't it? Isn't that cool? Okay, anyway, so that we might be, that's the good that God intends for us in verse 28 is found in verse 29. Um, and it doesn't mean that, you know, God wants a Cadillac for everybody, Right? People must quote this all the time. The good that God is working for us is to be like his son. Don't let anybody lie to you about that. Okay, I'm going to calm down. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and that those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Lord, come quickly. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? We sing that. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? But it's a rhetorical question. But the answer is no one. If God is for us... There is no one who is his equal. There is no one who can stand against his power. There is no one who can stand in his authority. There is no one who can stand in his knowledge. There is no one who can stand against his plan. Everything he determined, everything he desires will be done. 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All God's people said, that is power. Future? Doesn't matter. You're not going anywhere. Spiritual beings, evil ones, in this world and in the heavenly realms, they don't matter. Cannot separate you cannot thwart what God has planned for you and is calling on, the, on your life. Can't be done. We need to, no, we don't have any blanks. There are three reasons that God will win the victory. That Right there in verse 34, he says that Christ died for us. He's taken away the sting and the ramifications of our sin and our shame. And they've been put away with, and we live in freedom now. Amen? He is alive. All right. He, you remember he was killed and now he is alive because he overcame even death and is seated at the right hand of God in the position of power and the position of authority at the right hand of God is our Savior sitting there and he intercedes for us even now today. Listen, God will complete his work. He will complete the work that he started at the cross. He will bring to completion. It is his plan and his plan cannot be thwarted. His work, <laughs> this is the, kind of the cool thing, the work that he has to complete, a lot of it is to be completed in you and me. The transforming work, the, the sanctification that you and I are going through, that is God completing his work to make us in the image of his son, to reflect his likeness. Now, brothers, you in particular, take your stand. Wake up and remember you are engaged in a battle every day. Do not tolerate sin in your life, but seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Prepare for the battle every day by putting on the armor of God, remembering God's truth, remembering the truth of salvation, remembering the truth of the gospel, remembering the righteousness that God brings to you through the, the, the death and resurrection of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, like Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, pray, pray, pray. The battle is won by the Lord. It is not won by our strength. Listen, I, I, in preparing for this, I, let me tell you, I was stepping all over my toes because I don't pray enough. I don't pray enough. I don't pray as though I am so dependent on God to bring victory against this enemy that we face every day. I need to pray more. I need to pray for myself. I need to pray that the Lord would not lead me into temptation. I need to pray for my family that God would give them an enduring faith. I want to pray for, I need to be praying for you more that God would be overcoming sin in your lives, that he'd be overcoming broken relationships and all the other things you've got going on in your lives. I need to be praying for our effect in our effectiveness in this community. I've got to pray more and would you join me? Would you join me? We have to take a stand together. You know, this is uh, very reminiscent. Of Paul Clay and I were talking yesterday about uh, what's written about David's mighty men in, in uh, 1 Samuel and 1 Chronicles. 
where it says that basically one guy stood and took his stand in his field while all the rest of the army uh, ran off. They fled, and, and this one man stood there and with a spear, I believe. Was he the one with the spear? Uh, with the sword. And, and, and he slew um, 800 men. They're taking his stand in the field all alone, standing there, and uh, took his stand. And, and it says several other of those men took their stand, and they helped bring victory to, uh, to Israel. That's the picture, is that not on our own strength, but by the Lord God, we have the ability to stand and resist all of Satan and all of his schemes. Amen? Incredible power we've, uh, we've got on our side. Amen? Amazing. Take your stand. Take your stand with me. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, as I read these words, I remember, Lord, I just, I don't see, I am not aware enough of the war that's going on around me for myself, the war that's going around me for my children, for my wife, for our church family here, Lord God. I am unaware. I'm oblivious, Lord God. There have been too many times I've just been asleep at the wheel while there are things going on around me, while there's a battle waging around me. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for forgetting. Forgive me for just remembering what I see in this world and forgetting there's an entire spiritual side that I've got to be engaged in. Lord God, help me. Help me to stand. Help us all to stand. I pray especially, Lord, I want to pray for the men gathered here today. Lord, this is one of the responsibilities we have as leaders. Leaders in our home and leaders in the church, leaders in our community, leaders in our businesses, leaders as managers or or whatever field we find, Lord God, uh, and, and not to exclude women here at all, but this is the responsibility that belongs to men. Lord, I pray for every man here, Lord God, that you would give us the courage to stand, that you would remind us of our responsibility to stand, that you would make us res- remember that we have the responsibility to, to stand in the gap for our families, for our church, to stand in the gap for our places of businesses, uh, to stand in the gap and, and, and to wage war against this enemy who would seek our destruction. But Lord God, You'll, bring, you'll be the one bringing destruction. You'll be the one who will be bringing the victory. And we stand, Lord, not in our own strength, but we stand in yours, remembering, Lord God, today that the battle belongs to the Lord. Lord, we rest in you. We, we, we remember this. And, Lord, we just want to remember to take part. We want to be like David's mighty men who stand firm in our faith to, 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 to stand against the onslaught of the enemy. Help us, Lord, we pray. We need you. It's in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. That was fun. Thanks for being here. Love you guys.